0: Join us on
1: Sunday, April 11th, for a very special Satellite Sisters virtual
0: event to celebrate 20 years of sisterhood. All five sisters, Julie, Liz, Leanne, Monica, and Sheila, will share stories and recollections. There'll be an interactive audience quiz, Q&A, and lots of laughs, and probably a few tears. Because this is Satellite Sisters.
2: <laughs> Thanks to our friends at Sixth and I for hosting this event. For more information and tickets, visit SatelliteSisters.com and click on the awesome celebration graphic right there on the homepage. Okay, let's do this together, sisters. Three, two, one. Bring, Bring in your satellite, satellite, satellite sister.
0: You. And, <laughs> and we'll see we'll you there. See you there. <laughs> You are listening to Satellite Sisters. Great to be with you today. I'm Leon Dolan here in Pasadena, California. I'm a writer and producer, and I'm just a little sad that they unstuck that big boat because I was enjoying all the memes. I mean, those were fun. There were some fun fun. big boat jokes. (laughs) Okay, Liz, what's up with you?
2: You just wanted that to go on forever. It's the total distraction factor, right? Yes, this is Liz Dolan. I'm in Santa Monica. I'm the middle sister, just hanging out here in my office slash second bedroom. Uh, I'm good. I'm good, Leanne. How about you, Joel?
1: I'm, I'm here in Dallas, Texas. This is Julie Dolan. I'm the oldest sister. I'm the urban nana, the grandmother with five, five grandchildren. I am making a special guest appearance this morning in my granddaughter Alice's closet. And I'm going <laughs> to explain
0: what I'm doing here in a little bit. Okay. I Very hope you nice. could explain it to your grandchildren. It's really <laughs> not us that's the problem. But It's uh, a little odd that the grandmother is in the closet. Yes. Yeah. But, there but you go, Julie. We carry on. Yes. Setting an example for the younger generation. Just, <laughs> just nothing stops you. Nothing stops the podcast. I love that. Uh, well, speaking of that, today on the show, we're going to be talking to British writer Andrew Morton. You know, he is a, a biographer of the Royals, he's done mm-hmm. biographies of Diana, for instance, and he has a brand new book out today called Elizabeth and Margaret. Julie and Liz, you both read the book and you yeah. enjoyed it. It said it's Fabulous. quite a stunner about, yes. uh, about yes. royal siblings.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about sisters, Lee. And even if they weren't royal, you know, it's complicated. But the fact that they are royal makes it so much more complicated. Thank goodness <laughs> okay. we, Thank goodness we are not princesses. <laughs> I say I it every day. I think we should
1: ask Andrew Morton to write a book about the Satellite system. <laughs> I don't think
0: you want that. I do well, not think I don't, you want because that. Because
1: I'll tell you, Leon. the facts that he has in his new book are amazing. That's You can't believe with all you know about the Royals that you don't know the things that are in his yeah.
0: book. Yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm looking forward to uh, the conversation with Andrew. That's going to be great. Also coming up, um, Julie, you're bringing us some college admissions information, facts, and opinions. Is yep. that correct? Twenty 2020- twenty. The pandemic
1: has upended college admissions. But don't worry, I have a whole new system
0: to solve the college admissions problem. You've been hard at work in that closet. Good work. Good work, Nana. Good work. Uh, all right. We're going to talk a little bit about pandemic anxiety over reentry. Like what mm-hmm. it's going to be like to go back to real life. Are you ready? What are you nervous about? I have a short list of things I'm never going back to, so I'm going to share that. <laughs> uh, but Liz, what's happening with you this week? Well,
2: you know, uh, Leanne, I'm still getting over that broken leg and broken knee. Remember that? That happened. Sure. The, that happened at the end of December. So my focus for 2021 has been little victories every day, right? So here are my little victories for, for this week. Uh, before, you know, the current even more unpleasantness, um, I was doing cooking with Liz, yes. and uh, which is hard when you've only got one good leg, right? Um, mm-hmm. So so then I've been doing some experiments with cooking for Liz. And uh, so this week I had...
0: <laughs> That's I had, funny.
2: That's <laughs> funny, Liz. Good work. I like it. So I had success in both of those areas this week. These are my little victories in the cooking for Liz. You know, um, Mama Capra's marinara sauce won the sauce of the summer on Cooking mm-hmm. with Liz. The so, best. Yeah, that is absolutely—it's
3: delicious. delicious.
2: So I had a helper who helps me here in the afternoon make up a batch of Mama Capra's Marinara sauce, which made me very happy. And then on Sunday, I made... Julie, remember you told me I should learn how to make Ina Garten's turkey meatloaf? Yes, it was our mom's favorite. Yes, yeah. and you did make that on cooking. Yeah, okay, yeah. I didn't make that this weekend. What I did is I made up that turkey whatever the recipe and made turkey meatballs and myself I I cooked some turkey meatballs so I had cooking with Liz was the turkey meatballs cooking for Liz was the marinara sauce that was my dinner Sunday night it was well it was even more than a little victory but it was at least a little victory it was yes great. it was great so there you go little progress progress that's all I need every day I, that's good, Liz. I hope
1: you, did you really need up that uh, meatloaf mixture? Because I felt like on the first episode of Cooking with Liz. It <laughs> more. Well, Julie, I didn't mention it at the time, but I just mention it now. Okay.
2: Well, a lot of these recipes tell you not to overwork it. But anyway, that's okay. why I didn't, there was no video of this because I didn't want any commentary from my sisters. <laughs> okay.
1: Liz, I think, I think it is a big victory and I just, to, to eat a home-cooked meal is a great thing.
2: It so. is. It is.
1: Yes. Okay. A uh, my situation, as I said, I am here in my granddaughter, Alice's closet, which is surprisingly very neat and well organized. And the reason I am here is because of a pandemic provoked project. Sisters, has, have you had any ho- home improvement project that has been provoked by the, the pandemic? Leanne?
0: Um, Well, we did turn the guest room, which was sort of outdated into an office. So we did do that. So that was helpful, but mainly it's just a list of things I want to do when the pandemic is over and we Mm -hmm. can leave the house. Okay. Which is,
1: (laughs) which is what you want to.
0: Oh, well, I want to do First of all, I want to burn every stick of furniture we have or recover
2: (laughs) it. Okay. Okay. You've made the most of all that furniture. You've (laughs) maxed it out.
0: I mean, I feel like we have made the most of every square inch of our house and we just need to like sage it, smoke it, burn it out and start again. I mean, honestly, even like the throw pillows are bugging me now. Like I cannot take this throw pillow one more minute. So. Okay,
1: well, Leon, then you understand exactly where I was because for me, it is my walls. I have been staring at those walls, at the walls in my house for a year. I, and I can see every mark, every chip, every smudge, all the dirt from the dog, and I just couldn't take it anymore. So at first I started just doing a little touch-ups by myself, <laughs> which was a really bad idea. Oh, that's
0: so like our mother. Oh I my know. Gosh. And
1: I am a terrible painter. I have I just terrible painter. So I I just got to the point where I was like okay the entire interior of my house is going to be painted. It it needs it needs it. I just could not stand it another day. So that is the project that is going on in my house. That's the reason I have left my house because unlike the Lowe's and the Home Depot commercials that I've watched for a year, you know you know what those are where yeah. they throw up some blue tape and then they take a roller and start painting wildly in all directions, you know, yeah, right? It's yeah. Right, yes, about. it looks and fun, then, it looks yeah, fast and, and then, easy, fast and, and easy, right, Liz, and then five minutes later, they're sitting on the couch, <laughs> looking at the view, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, some horrible color that they've painted the living room wall, but nonetheless, that, but that's not really what happens when you have the interior of your house painted, is you have to, like, empty out your house, pretty much, and you have to get out of the house, uh, definitely, so, mm-hmm. Of, we have been we have been staying with um our son and daughter-in-law um uh, and that's why I'm in the closet. So little public service announcement, it's not exactly like the commercials but I think the end result is going to make me it's it's got to lift my mood. It's going to be a mood booster mm-hmm. no doubt about it uh, mm-hmm. to have fresh walls. So
0: what color hard. are you painting it? What's the white. big color? White. 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 All white.
1: <laughs> white.
0: You're very brave. Yeah, i know. very brave. <laughs> I know, I know.
2: Liz, how about you? Do
0: you have-
1: So
2: I want to go just the other way, Julie. Every wall in my house is white. And I just, I've been spending a lot of time laying in bed, as you know, just staring at my bedroom walls saying, okay, um, I got to go with a bright color, a focus wall, whatever they call those things, maybe wallpaper. It's just all I think about is got to ditch the white and go with color. And which is, I'm sure, something I'll regret in about a year. But that's my instinct. Color. <laughs> color, color. I, think, I need more color in my life. I, I think
1: there are a lot of pandemic-provoked uh, projects going <laughs> yes. on. You just, it's been a year. We just, yeah. we
2: can't take we can't it. can't take anymore. it anymore.
0: Right. Well, I think about, like, what a poor job I've done cleaning over the last yeah. year. I mean, <laughs> and so the idea that there are going to be. Uh, other people in the house, besides my husband and son, I'm like, wow, we got to start now for cleaning for 4th of July. <laughs> if we can really have people over 4th of July, I got to get into some nooks and crannies right now because, yeah. because, you know, normally you have, I have at least a couple of big events every year where you get things organized. Oh gosh, yeah. people are coming over. Oh, it's Thanksgiving. It's this, it's that. Those are big home improvement areas in our house, uh, you know, timeframes. Yeah. None of that's happened. So we've let some things slide. So besides <laughs> burning everything down i have to clean everything up so is that the order you're gonna burn it and then <laughs> i don't clean know it or
1: clean it and burn it that's
0: i don't not, know but funny. i don't think we're alone i think i think a lot of people feel I think like
1: people yeah but i would say yeah pay, it's worth it to hire the painters for in our case it was because we're so terrible at it so okay well Julie,
0: we had something pop up on the facebook this week that i felt like i was experiencing which is you know pandemic anxiety over re-entry right about what is it like now people are vaccinated what's it going to be like going back to you name it going back to the grocery store or the movies or whatever it is and i'm starting to experience that but i think there are a couple things i want to get out there that i'm never doing again if the pandemic has taught me anything it's this i am never wearing uncomfortable shoes again It's (laughs) it's over Yeah, I am going to be one of those people that show up in clogs at a formal event. I don't care. I don't care anymore. Like, I had to put on heels to dance in last week for my dance lesson. I could barely stand up in two inch heels. I was like, I can't believe this is happening. I haven't worn shoes like this in a year. You know what? I I don't even care anymore. I just like comfortable shoes. I don't feel like I need to be uncomfortable for anyone. It means I'm going to have to shorten all the pants I have, you know? (laughs) (laughs) All the work pants I have are, are, you know, rely on like a two-inch heel. I don't know. I'm going to the flats. I
2: think this is one where the sisterhood needs to stay strong with each other, Leanne. I'm with you. Let's just all agree that we're going to do this. If nobody goes back to high heels, there won't be any social pressure to go back, which is all do this together. <laughs> good idea, Liz. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not on
1: board. I wanna I, I, I wanna wear a pair of heels again. I, I know. know how-
0: you have thin feet. That helps. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think that helps. You've pretty good feet, Joel. Uh, okay, two. I am v- genuinely worried I'll never be able to stay up past nine p.m. again. Oh, like
1: I'm with you, with William. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh! Like I think I'm going to start turning down things that start after seven. Last <laughs> night I had to do an event at seven, and I was like, "How am I going to stay up? Like, <laughs> <laughs> be on at seven p.m. No. I mean." I just, my whole, our whole body clock is now like, we're getting up at 4.30 and we're like falling asleep, like really old people at, you know, 7.30 on the couch. It's just all wrong. But I also don't have any desire to stay up past nine. So I'm concerned about that. (laughs) And then my last big concern. So my husband and I got vaccinated this weekend. We were happy to do that. Very happy. Thank you. The J&J vaccine, all good. And uh, I am concerned now that we will run out of conversation because- (laughs) (laughs) The last year, we have been having like our own panel discussions on the pandemic, the causes, the mask wearing, the vaccines, like we go off, get our own news sources, then we bring them together and then we rehash them at night. Like when we walk the dog on Saturdays, we have a small think tank about all things pandemic. What are we going to talk about now? I'm just, (laughs) I'm really worried.
2: Yeah. Really worried. Yeah, and you've already watched everything on Netflix, which is why you're going to bed at nine (laughs) o'clock, right? So you can't, there's not that.
0: Well, we've watched the first half hour of every episode on Netflix. (laughs) Excellent. So, um, So, but one thing I remain terrible at, I have not improved at all over the pandemic, is takeout. I'm still very bad at takeout. I don't enjoy it. (laughs) I order poorly. Uh, It makes me stressed out. I I don't know where to park. I'm tired of doing takeout on the apps. So I'm looking forward to inviting small groups of people to the house for dinner. It means I'll have to clean, but it it will be worth it because- Clean and burn.
1: Yeah. There won't be any place to sit down for dinner at your house, but I know <laughs> that's a, but you have um, that nice counter in the kitchen, so yeah. people could just huddle
0: around the kitchen. yeah i won 't burn that uh, you know though it 's funny yesterday, I got a survey from golden voice um, that 's the group that does Coachella and a couple of other music festivals that i 've been to, so they they wanted to know if I would take a survey about am I ready to go back to music festivals or music events, and I was procrastinating, so I took the survey, and the questions were like, what would it take for you to come back like would you need temperature checks? Would you need all the employees masks? Would you need, you know, all the people masks? I'm like, yes to all these things. Oh my gosh. Am I really ever going to go back to a music fest? It did. It kind of made me sad, you know, mm-hmm. and I noticed that we had a post on Facebook from a listener who said she, she just really had uh, some anxiety about getting back to normal. She was relieved to getting vaccinated, but She just didn't know if she could go back to normal again. And many comments, hundreds of comments on it, people Mm -hmm. really, you know, echoed her sentiments Mm -hmm. that they were just going to be taking baby steps to head back to Trader Joe's for the first time, or they didn't want to start overscheduling themselves like they had been, or some people weren't planning any changes in behavior. They had gotten vaccinated, but they were still going to stick with their plan till the fall or the winter. Others were like, you know what? I'm going back to silver sneakers and I'm ready to get out yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. be as long as I'm masked. I'm fine. And, uh, and then someone said this and it's true. Someone said, I'm just not ready to hug yet. No. And I, I felt that okay. I was like, I think the social interactions are going to be awkward. Yeah. How do you guys feel?
1: I, you know, it was interesting. I was talking to my grandson, he's already planning for the next pandemic and some oh. of the stuff he wants to do uh, during the initial lockdown.
0: <laughs> oh that is sad
2: that is isn't
1: sad. That, isn't that he said he really wants to lie down in the mis- middle of a busy street you know, that is he missed it on this pandemic but mm. he said hey, the next time nana that's the first thing i'm gonna do and i okay. thought that is yes.
0: pretty poignant about <laughs> that's good about the, anxiety uh, right uh-huh. yeah. about how yeah. people think liz what about you
2: well, my worry is that because during the pandemic, you know, obviously everything has been optional. You could say no to anything. If people needed you to do something or you're obviously not going to go anywhere, you don't have to show up anywhere. You can just say no, no, no. I'm, I'm worried that getting to yes with me is going to be hard. I'm just going to be, just keep saying every time somebody asks me to do something, no, sorry, I can't do that. Right. So, um, you know, picking and choosing what's worth the effort I'm, is, is, going to be, is going to be challenging. I feel differently than you about the hugging. I'm dying to start hugging people. And okay. Yeah. And when people tell me that they've gotten vaccinated, I have this overwhelming desire to hug them. But I, I haven't. I haven't. But I, I'm looking forward to the day, as long as they flash their vaccine card. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I read that Staples is laminating them for free. So, well, but, um,
1: but you're not. Oh, uh, this is a public service announcement because what? UPS told me you are not supposed to laminate your um, vaccine cards because the information can get smudged during the lamination process.
0: Thank mm-hmm. you, Julie. Okay. That's and important that, information. That was the
1: CEO of the of UPS told UPS stores to distribute that information uh-huh. to elderly people because those are the only
2: ones <laughs> laminating. Lamin- yes and then hanging them
0: around our necks (laughs) i mean (laughs) okay see i'm gonna hoard that information and save it to tell my husband that's gonna be exciting okay that i have something to tell barrick yeah (laughs)
2: Okay, well, yeah, I think people do share a lot of this anxiety. It will be interesting how it reveals itself and and over what period of time, because it's, yeah, we got the whole rest of the year. Right. Still a lot of question marks
0: out there. Still a lot of
2: question marks. But I have an event that everyone can say yes to, sisters. And this is the Satellite Sisters live event on April 11th. Mm -hmm. Are you guys psyched? I am getting psyched. Well, we're doing some prep work. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, we are actually preparing for this. That is (laughs) true,
0: That is true.
2: So on April 11th, which is a Sunday, we're celebrating 20 years of sisterhood. Last year was our 20th anniversary. As a matter of fact, this week, April 1st, will be the official 21st anniversary of the first Satellite Sister show. So that's Thursday. Everyone can celebrate in the privacy of their own home, but we want (laughs) to see you on April 11th. So if you haven't bought tickets yet, you know, what are you waiting for? We're selling a lot of tickets. Uh, So go to SatelliteSisters.com. We almost never mention our... Our website, which has everything you would ever want to know about us, but it does exist. And if you go there to SatelliteSisters.com, right on the homepage, there's a link that will take you to the 6th and I platform. 6th and I is the great cultural institution in Washington, D.C. that is hosting this. We had hoped to be there live on their stage, but not going to happen. Anyway, so, so get your tickets. And you can be on the show if you buy a ticket because we are looking for one solid gold satellite sister or mister to be on camera during the show where we will test your mastery of satellite sisters trivia right so we're just putting this out there if you've been listening since the public radio days are you up to date on the current podcast do the words officer rubbish mean anything to you at all well (laughs) then we have a google form that you can fill out and we're going to pick a winner from everyone on the google form we'll put the google form in the show notes we'll put it we'll also distribute it uh on social media and
0: post it on our website and sixth then if you've already bought tickets you'll be getting an email with a link to the google form from sixth and i right right
2: right okay Right. And so maybe you'll get picked as, to be our special contestant on April 11th. So it's a, it's a random drawing. We will have to do a little tech check with you before the event. Um, but there, and there will be a participation prize, my copy here says. Oh, Leon, good idea. <laughs> Thank you, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> but also to get people super in the mood. We want you to join us in a toast. So on the show on April 11th, we will be toasting all of you. Nobody is more important to us than our listeners. So we had family mixologist Lee and son Colin concoct a special cocktail for the celebration. It's called the Golden Buzz, right? Ooh. So. Yes. So, Leon, you must have been in on some of the golden buzz testing.
0: Yes, we did that this weekend. Uh, after I recovered from the the J <laughs> and J shot, I would like to say, so, but yeah. So he, it's an inspired it's an inspired cocktail, and it is golden. And that's yes. you are golden to us, satellite sisters, solid gold sisters. And that's yes. that's was the inspiration.
2: Okay, so we are going to post the recipe and also teach you how to make the drink in an alcohol version, alcohol free version of the drink uh, in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group live on Friday, April 9th at 5 p.m. Pacific. So that's 8 p.m. Eastern. So it's called a pre-party, people. That's what we're doing. We're going to do a little Friday night pre-party to get you psyched for the Sunday event, which is 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, and Colin is going to teach uh, Leon and I how to make the golden buzz. So,
0: right. So what's in it, leanne it's, it, it, The primary liquor is um, rum, is dark uh-huh. rum, oh, which okay. is why you get that golden uh, Ooh, golden color okay. but he's also going to make a version using gin if you're more of a gin person so uh-huh. he'll give you two versions of the cocktail and then i'll do um an, uh, an alcohol-free version of the drink um, right as well that, that so night nice. yeah yeah we're just well, yeah, we can we're make gonna...
1: three drinks is what <laughs> good Three drink Good. minimum. I like or it. no drink. We I guess we <laughs> don't no We're
0: just we're just happy. We're looking we're forward to the whole week. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there you go. So the the best thing to do is buy those tickets now, because then you'll get all the emails and all the information through the ticketing forum there at six to nine. So if you haven't, if you haven't purchased your $12 ticket yet, now's the time to do it. And then you'll get all the information about coming on the show or uh, you'll get the drink recipe, everything like that. Um, But we're looking forward to it. Yeah. I got some work to do this week. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But I'm looking forward to it. All right. Speaking of what we're looking forward to, Andrew Morton is coming up. He's a royal biographer. He happens to live in Pasadena, so I see him around town, so I know him. So, you know, we put this interview together quite a long time ago. Uh, His publicist emailed, like, hey, Andrew would love to be on the show. And you all had just watched The Crown, and it seemed great. We just had no idea there was going to be so much royal family news. But, you know, we're going to be talking about sisters Elizabeth and Margaret. And the Windsors. And we look forward to it. He, you know, he wrote that book about Diana. So that got, you know, that was, yeah, a, it, it was, was it was comprehensive and we read that. And so now we're going to be talking about Elizabeth and Margaret. So stay tuned. Up next, Andrew Morton. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash SISTERS and use code SISTERS to choose your free-for-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Thanks, ButcherBox.
2: We are back, and we are welcoming Andrew Morton to Satellite Sisters. He is the author of Elizabeth and Margaret. The Intimate World of the Windsor Sisters. Uh, Andrew, welcome to Satellite Sisters. We can't imagine anyone doing the book, an intimate portrait of the Satellite Sisters, frankly. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. You never know, as, as we always used to say when we were raw reporters, it's a long <laughs> corridor.
2: And today's your publication date, so congratulations. But I will confess that our interest in this story really is not so much about royalty. It's more about the shocking concept that one sister would have control over another sister's life. Like, there is no Dolan sister who would buy into that construct. So, well, for me, Andrew,
1: this is Julie. I'm the oldest sister, and that seems like it could happen, you know.
3: <laughs> yeah. And so, so, I mean, presumably, as you're reading the book, you were reflecting on your own lives and your own yes. relationships as well. Because, yeah. Uh, because a lot of it is common sense, isn't it? That the eldest sister is has a certain personality. The second one occupies a psychic space left by the other. And I think you see that vividly with Elizabeth and Margaret, that mm-hmm. Elizabeth was the sensible one, the cautious one, the one who, you know, who made sure, woke up in the night and put her shoes back together um, so that everything was neat and tidy, very uh, anal. Uh, mm-hmm. Use that kind of word in... Um, in the nineteen thirties, whereas Margaret was the mischievous one. You know, disobedience, disobedience is my joy. She would, uh, she would say, and she, she loved, um, you know, making people annoyed with her and then um, uh, uh, twisting them around her little finger.
0: But between
2: the sisters, did they just grow up accepting that Elizabeth was going to be Margaret's boss? I mean, it just seems like just oh, such a well, weird. <laughs> It's one of the weird things about monarchy, honestly.
3: <laughs> well, I, I think you're. It's it's the, what what is interesting, quite frankly, is the fact that initially, one was a princess, the other one was a princess, and there was no difference at all because yeah. everybody right. expected that David or Edward the as he became, would um would marry and have children, and so and and if that had happened. Uh, Elizabeth and Margaret would be lost to history and they would have been you know mm-hmm. married some genteel aristocrat lived in a stately home with horses and dogs and, and a small brood of children so uh, what happened in 1936 the abdication changed forever the relationship between Elizabeth and Margaret and I think this is the interesting part of the book in the sense that they changed from being sisters to being, as you mentioned earlier, the boss and subject, or the monarch and subject, yeah. uh, where Margaret had to curtsy and and pay all kinds of secrets to um, to her to her older sister.
2: Yeah, Liam, yeah. can you imagine us curtsying to Julie? No.
1: You know, Andrew, we've seen The Crown, we've read Anne uh, Anne Clen Connor's book, uh, The Lady yeah. in Waiting. So I felt like we knew a lot about this and what is so excellent about your book is you have so many more details particularly about this period when you know when the abdication happens and the big change in their life that goes on how did you get access to so many details because it's so vivid and it's it was so new to read
3: well just comprehensive research really i mean marion crawford uh, was the was the governess of the, the, the two children she wrote a book called the little princesses and what i did i dug into the papers relating to that um that uh, seminal book, book which was published in the, in 1950 and they're held in america um and um i i got to read those and and harvested a whole uh, a raft of material about about the the girls.
1: Yeah, that really comes through. You have some great stories about Elizabeth, of course, one of my favorites and I and I need to check with you today. Did, did Queen Elizabeth really um, use a high heel to crack the shell of a creme brulee dessert one night?
2: <laughs> That's the level of detail Andrew has in this book. It's I mean, I, that
1: would just not... Really
3: I, I love that story. That You've got the Queen sitting there, and everybody's trying to, manfully trying to break the, the, the icing, on, is it the icing, whatever it is, the, the glaze on the creme, yeah, creme the brulee. Yeah, the shell of a the, creme
1: brulee. It's hard. It's hard. And it's you hard. I mean, yes, you, you yes. just
3: take a pneumatic drill from sometimes. Mm-hmm. And she, yes, yeah, she you whack give it a whack. But it's, it, the point I was making there was that she was with her her people. Mm-hmm. Horse riding, horse racing people, um, that kind of equine aristocracy. And she wouldn't have done that, say, if there'd been a bunch of artists and uh, bookworms there. Um, mm-hmm. they, they were more uh, Margaret's cup of tea. Mm-hmm. So, you it's, know, it is. Yeah, so yeah. it's that sense that, the Queen isn't always the Queen. She can be quite you know, casual.
2: Yeah, that sounds and very I think, good. And,
3: and, and you know, just to kind of finish that point off, it's very interesting during the whole year of lockdown with Covid that the Queen has gone on, has used social media very adroitly and you see her very dry sense of humour emerging uh, in some of these interactions, you know, she was presented with a statue by um, some Australian uh, university the other day. And she was saying, Well, I, I wouldn't like to meet that person coming out of a, of a foggy night. You know, it was, it, it was just um, her humour is very dry and it's often overlooked because it was Margaret who was the one who came out with the punchy one liners who had everybody laughing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I definitely took away from your book, uh, Andrew, is that the sibling drama playing out in the tabloid press is kind of a multi-generational thing with these Windsors, you know? So I never understood how much of that was in play with Margaret's romance with Peter Townsend. There's so much in the book about the, her being hounded by the tabloids about making a decision and doing all of that, but the drama between the sisters and then what we're seeing play out right now, the drama between the brothers, it's just, family drama on, on this royal tabloid level.
3: Uh, absolutely. Uh, and it's not just a tabloid level. It's a broadsheet level as well. I mean, it's, it is um, uh, fascinating the way that that uh, story unfolded because it, Elizabeth was put into a very difficult position from the get-go. She's only just inherited the crown from her father. She never anticipated becoming queen so young. She's only 26 um and here she was having to decide whether her sister could marry the man she loved i mean it's a a tremendous burden to uh, undertake at that Mm -hmm. young age and also with a prime minister winston churchill who was you know world-renowned statesman war leader hero of the hour Uh, how dare she even enter the same room as him really in a way she was very Mm -hmm. nervous about that so it was a it was a very difficult family situation at a very cri- critical time, in Margaret's uh, sorry in in Elizabeth's uh, reign.
1: Yeah, I mean Andrew, you know, you you write about their affair and their love, and you have a, a very different account of what happened than what we've all seen in the Crown. What what was your take? Did they just did the relationship just you know sort of run out of steam, or do you think they just they gave up because of all the external pressure on their relationship.
3: You know, I was guided in this from a book I wrote before. My previous book was called Wallace in Love about, about Wallace Simpson.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: During the abdication crisis, she was in the South of France, staying with friends. And she had no control over what was being decided in London that would affect the rest of her life. And she was telling Edward the do not abdicate do not abdicate on the phone on her phone calls every night but of course he abdicated and 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 she was the one who was blamed as as it always happens it's always the woman who's blamed and it's it's a remarkably similar story with with margaret and peter townsend but it is the obverse she was the one who was in control of everything of all the information she spoke to eden the prime minister she spoke to her sister, the Queen, and it was made clear that all she had to do was um, relinquish her place in the line of succession. She wouldn't have to give up her civil list, the money that she, she was paid. She wouldn't have to live abroad. She, she would obviously, if she was to marry a divorcee, who was a group captain, Peter Townsend, uh, she'd have to marry outside of a church. But that was all. But, but as I discovered, he, he remained blithely ignorant of that even after the event and even nearly 30 years later when he wrote his, his biography. So it seems to me that, that she was um, playing it out as a, as a grand romance when actually she'd actually moved on. And mm-hmm. there was a, there's a, an, an allegation as well that she at the time she was having an affair with Eddie Fisher, the, uh, the singer and, and uh, bon viveur. mm mm-hmm.
2: But, you know, there's so much in your book. It feels like what we've just observed in our lifetimes is that the system kind of ground Margaret down, and then the system kind of ground Diana down, and now it's starting on Megan, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, you know, there are yeah. all these theories about that. So, my, my number one question is does the institution ever? learn and change has the firm or the family or have they learned anything from what happened to margaret and then diana
3: well the 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 queen said after diana's death that the the lessons will be learned and then yeah i know uh, said with megan lessons will be learned but it is a it's a tougher what what people don't appreciate and nobody appreciates really unless you it's a very tough gig being a member of the royal family. You're on display, mm-hmm. you're being commented on, you've in a way your humanity is squeezed out of you, you've just got to become a symbol. And and I think that that's, that's one of the issues that all these new arrivals uh, into the royal family face. Diana did, I mean, and she and remember she gave it 10 years mm-hmm. before she jumped ship and also her husband was in love with somebody else. So mm-hmm. that was a, that's a very different kind of story. For, uh, for Margaret, she was often lost and alone because you have to carve out your own niche. And she, she did it to a degree, but she wasn't uh, as successful as, as, say, for example, Princess Anne. She's a tougher, more aggressive individual. She hitched her wagon to save the children from the charity of which she's, she was patron and, and president for a time. And she's made a, you know, a, a good fist of being a member of the royal family. But you look at, and I was thinking about this the other day, you look at Catherine Middleton. She spent nearly 10, well, 10 years in the, in the public spotlight since she got married. But before that, she had a long, long runway to get to know what it was like being a royal. But even so, even after, what, 10, 15 years of, of this, I feel that she's only just really come into herself as a woman, as a princess, um, and, and as a communicator and, and, and I think that it just does take a long time and, and that is the top and bottom of it and if you, if you don't have the patience for it or the will or the, or the, or the need then it's a yeah it sounds door. awful
1: right yeah. I yeah. mean you know I think one of the things you do, you, that comes through in your book is I had so much empathy for Margaret because she got terrible press you know, I mean some of it may have been deserved but a lot of it wasn't what do you, you know, Andrew? What do you think Margaret would say to Megan? Uh, do you th- uh, how do you think those two uh, would uh, interact?
3: Ah, good question. Yeah, Mal, you're absolutely right. The, the, I mean, I would just extend the the, the 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 fact to the, the fact that all royal women get terrible presses at some stage or another. I think Margaret would just say, "You've got to stick at it." Um, and certainly give it more than the year that um, Meghan gave it and 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 think about it a bit more. I mean, you know, uh, Margaret had a terrible press and, and as she says in the book, the narrative of her life, one sister must be good and the other system must be the font of all evil. Yeah. And she yeah. was defined right. as the evil sister. And I think it's just a, there's a combination of the, the narrative of a member of the royal family once it sticks it sticks and she the narrative with her was that she went off you know to the caribbean which she did in the winter um, everybody in Britain shivering their asses off and you know, <laughs> jealous as all hell about somebody going off to the caribbean in the days when you know long-haul flights were, were uh, very very exotic and she took up with a guy who was 17 years her junior, Roddy Llewellyn, jo- a jobless gardener, researcher, handyman. You know.
0: Oh, I've dated one of those.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and Every got, sister
2: in any any family, we've, you've had at least one of those.
0: Yeah.
3: And he he was the original toy boy, and she was the original cougar. Right so at that time, a role. So yeah, that so sure at that real- time, it, people weren't talking about toy boys and cougars, and so she she went against. The, the 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 you know the the, the mainstream thinking and is i mean now of course um, younger men and older women is is a, a, a common occurrence but in those days not so much and and she fell out badly with the queen over her ro- romance with him and and the queen only really recognized the fact that roddy had been very very helpful to her especially towards the end when she suffered several strokes and she realized that you know he he had made her happy and mm-hmm. and and, and who can say more than that?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so I wanna end on this note, get your advice on something. So, cause your book is about how the two sisters, Elizabeth and Margaret, they, you know, try to stay loving siblings with all of the pressure of the monarchy. So now we see the two brothers struggling with the same, right? So Mm. we're very pro sibling relationships here at Satellite Sisters (laughs) Andrew. any advice for William and Harry from you or that you think their mother would be giving them now?
3: Well, I think their mother would be very concerned because she always said to me that uh, Harry is William's backup in the nicest possible way. Mm-hmm. And as any mother would, it would be, mm-hmm. it's, uh, uh, you know, what's the phrase that you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. And she could probably see that, that, that the body language of Harry during his interview was, was, kind of aggressive and rather morose um, you can see that he he needed some assistance and and that william too is probably very hurt by some of the things that harry said about him about being trapped and not really fulfilling his true nature so there's a there's a big chasm between the brothers at the minute and i think that the spirit of Diana will have to come in, into play at some stage and I think probably the, the first time that will happen will be when the uh, sculpt the, the sculpture of Diana, uh, which was commissioned by the two boys, is unveiled at, at uh, Kensington Palace Gardens in July. And that, oh, may, wow. and it's the whole world glad. will be looking at their body language. Body language there. I mean, you know, Harry might um, you know might not even come because uh, Meghan might be having. A, Uh, baby number two the baby girl that that uh, is promised
0: wow that is shakespearean yes it is thinking of that That, Uh, it's at least a one-man play by tom stoppard that (laughs) that scene right there well if it's about
3: brothers it's probably a two-man play
0: (laughs) okay good point thank you although although (laughs) Uh,
2: well thank you so much andrew andrew's book is elizabeth and margaret the intimate world of the windsor sisters so of course that that got our attention. But basically, Andrew, you've reinforced our funda- fundamental belief that it's a good thing we're not royals. We would not.
3: We, I don't think we would last 10 minutes.
2: No, yeah. no. There's just no chance we would, we would buy into that, that whole structure. So uh, thanks so much for joining us today, and congratulations on your pub date.
3: Thank you, and very nice to talk to the three of you. Oh, to the, I'm sorry. To yeah. No,
0: no, that's good. No, we're out. No, I was in. Yeah, I just, we with three of us asking questions, it's too much. So the interviews is just two. So Andrew, thank you. That was great. Thank we you. appreciate it. That was it. great, really Andrew. It was a wonderful <laughs>
1: book. I'm recommending it to all my friends. Yeah. Right.
3: <laughs> Many thanks. And uh, <laughs> as Leanne told you that I told her to put more sex into her. Into her. Yes,
0: <laughs> he was the yes. one. That's that. I great. It was like, now your mother's <laughs> dead. Put more sex in. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I think of you every scene is that wrong <laughs> probably
3: well i hope not <laughs>
0: all right i'm coming to see you at the valley hunt club in april so i'll see you all then. Right. oh
3: great i'll see you then okay okay thanks, well, andrew. thanks. Okay.
2: Bye-bye. Bye, andrew Bye, Andrew. okay bye
0: liz and leanne here and we are so grateful to have osea support satellite sisters why because it's just a great product holy cow do we we love osea's skin and body care and you know what And you get free samples in every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Osea is spelled O-S-E-A. So head on over to oseamalibu.com and use code SATSisters for 10% off. Thanks, Osea. Okay, we are back. Well, that was great talking to Andrew. So much interesting information. So much detail. Yeah. yeah lot of- he's, he's an expert. He is. He's absolutely an expert. Liz, speaking of books, were we speaking of books? Because I just wanted to mention. Don't you have a new book coming out like in a, yes. 10 minutes
2: or something? Yes, you do. I, well, it's the
0: same book, but in a new format, Liz. And oh, that's new. It's exciting. new. Okay. The Sweeney Sisters, if you haven't read it yet, or if you haven't given it to everybody you know, now's the time. Because The Sweeney Sisters is coming out in paperback on April 6th very soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it, uh, it is available for pre-order now. I want to thank all the Satellite Sisters Street Team members who have been out there promoting the book in various ways on their social media. I cannot thank you enough. It's super helpful to me to spread the word of the Sweeney Sisters through people like you, genuine readers, and people who enjoyed it. So I appreciate it. Now's the time. The Sweeney Sisters advanced pre-order, lots of information on our website, but anywhere you order your books or any indie bookstore you want to walk into and pre-order, that would also be awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you, Satellite Sister Street team. Thank you. Um, also, Liz, just quickly before we get into the college admissions discussion, mm-hmm. just a salute to Beverly Cleary and Larry yes. McMurtry,
2: who, yes. who died yes. last
0: week. Mm-hmm. You know, at Beverly Cleary at 104, Larry McMurtry at 84. These were some lions of you know American mm-hmm. writing, who whose work affected millions of people. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing when you're a children's book author, like and you write stuff that really sticks with kids. Why is it that the, I guess the children's books we read over and over again, we just internalize them or someone's read them to us. So we remember them. And, and so you just, don't forget characters like Ribsy or Ramona or like the mouse and the motorcycle was my favorite of the (laughs) books. And I could read, you know, that to the boys when they grew up, it's just such a lovely legacy to have and to pass on. Uh, What an amazing woman Beverly Cleary was. She was a librarian that then became a novelist and um, she just seemed like a lovely woman and that she was from Portland, Oregon and incorporated Portland into all her stories was charming. And then Larry McMurtry, you know, he was a prolific writer and screenwriter, everything from, you know, broke back. I know, now, I, you know
1: I reread some of his books Liam, since I've moved to Texas and they, they're just even more meaningful now that I live here, that I see the landscape that he wrote, wrote about. I mean, he, you know, and he was so incredibly popular too. Yeah people yeah. that may not be have been big readers read his books right. because
0: of the tales yes everybody read lonesome Duff. when that came yeah. out uh, like the mid 80s i read it and moved to wyoming i mean that's how profound <laughs> it right. was right for me yes. literally yes. I literally did. So uh, So it's a good, that's a good Lonesome Dove. It would be great if it was the summer of Lonesome Dove. It would be a good book to revisit this summer, especially if people are doing mm-hmm. a lot of road trips instead of flying. If you're driving around the American Southwest or the West, uh, pick up Lonesome Dove or listen to it on tape. I bet there's a good version that would be great. of it. Oh, that
1: would be good for a car trip. Excellent. Yeah,
0: yeah, it would be good. So anyway, cheers to both of them. Thank you for your work.
1: Well, sisters, you know, this is a admissions time, college admissions time. And a long time ago, I used to be in college admissions and graduate business school admissions. So it's always a topic of interest. It's one that I've talked about a number of times here on Satellite Sisters. And it's very interesting this year, because like everything, the pandemic has up ended college the college admissions process when you think about what you need to you know what to submit to go to colleges its grades standardized test scores recommendations essays and extracurricular activities and that hasn't that combination hasn't changed but this year it has that you know let's talk about grades starting in spring of 2020 we went to virtual schools Uh, And for many people, that has remained through through a year. And virtual schools mean virtual grades. So that it's going to be very difficult to evaluate students students with GPAs that were earned in virtual school that, you know, versus being in the classroom. We really don't know what that means. But probably the other big thing is the cancellation of standardized tests, the SAT or the ACT, that over 1,600 schools and many highly selective schools have either, you know, they don't require the test anymore or it's optional. And that has created a completely different trend in admission 2021. It meant that many, many more, that applications to highly selective schools in general were up 17% on average. People applied to more colleges because they didn't have to submit test scores. Mm -hmm. And a school like Harvard, they saw a 42% increase in the number of applications.
2: Oh God! Wow. Yeah, I suppose amazing. people thought, "Well, why not? This is the year. If I ever had a shot, go for the it." World. I mean,
1: Leon, you missed your opportunity. <laughs> I mean, I know you attempted to apply to Har. You had to good test scores, but you used a pencil to apply to Harvard the first <laughs> time around. That right? Was a
0: mistake. I yeah. know
1: that was that was kind of a blunder. But
0: you I know- didn't know how to type. That was my biggest mistake in in high school. Is that I took extracurricular okay. Latin instead of typing, and <laughs> okay. I was punished for that.
1: okay punished okay i see you've gotten over it which is really good but so there's been this just massive increase in the number of people applying to college but sadly not all groups many underrepresented students are just are not applying to colleges and there's actually a decrease in the number of students applying to community college and a decrease in the number of students applying for federal aid Uh, so But what what has really gotten, you know, that I honed in on because I, you know, worked in admissions is the increased workload for many of these schools where now there's, you know, they've seen this enormous increase in the number of applications. And they, uh, in an article in the Wall Street Journal, they were saying at Williams, they were asking admissions readers to read between 45 to 50 applications a day okay so you no longer can you know you have different grades because of the virtual school you might not have test scores you have recommendations and essays and some but you may not even have extracurricular activities because those have all right. been upended by the pandemic So there, so, but just imagine, let's say you're not an admissions officer, let's say you're a doctor, and someone said you have to see 40 to 50, uh, 45 to 50 patients a day, and make a really big decision about this patient uh, that will impact their lives, and you're not going to have all the information. Mm -hmm you know, I, I think that in many ways, you know, some people are very happy that we're moving away from the standardized test. And there is, you know, certainly a lot of correlate, you know, the test is highly correlated with family wealth. I mean, right. there's a number of studies about that. And, you know, that I'm not sure that that's accurate. But having But in the absence of that, it just comes down to, you know, I don't know, a lot of personal uh, judgment by the individual admissions officer that is taking a very short time to evaluate, you know, a student. So... I have a new system that I want to propose. Okay. I really <laughs> am thinking about this. Let's be
2: solutions oriented here on satellites.
1: Yeah, I, I do. I, and I'm serious about this. I've been thinking about it. I really think we should go to some national lottery system. Mm-hmm. I think that, that, you know, create some minimum standard that you have to have completed high school, completed all the coursework. Okay. Maybe a minimum GPA. I don't know. And then just, do a lottery. I think it would end up creating more access for more students to go to selective schools than what we're doing right now. I mm-hmm. think that this the system we have now is, you know, is not good and it puts a lot of students at a, a clear disadvantage. And it's just, I don't think it's possible to make a good judgment 45 to 50 applications a day, you know, without test scores, you know, without accurate information. So, you okay. know,
0: but they always say in admissions, like, I mean, I, I've, d- I've been, I've done a little bit of alumni admissions work for my alma mater. And they always say like, we have more kids that are qualified to get in than we can let in. Yes. So in, in general though, like, you know, as opposed to a doctor, I, I have to say it, I know it's not a life or death mm-hmm. decision, you know, it's slightly well, it's different, not, but that. it's a big decision. All right. But it but a I just want a des- It's a big, a big decision. Big,
1: yes. It's, it's, not, it's not, it's not you know, it's not like letting people, you know, I I mean, it is, it does have a, it's a decision with a lot of consequences.
0: Yes, for sure. For sure. Yes. And no, that's, that's for sure. But a lot of people applying are still going to be qualified to get into that school and can still do the work when they, when they get there, regardless of whatever happened with their COVID grades and things like that. So in general, like if they got their act together and completed these long you know applications there's that's a self-selected pool in yeah. in, in in a sense mm-hmm. so i mean i we've talked about it a million times before the system was crazy the system that we had was crazy it made people crazy it made kids crazy it it involved a lot of monies going to weird people and stuff like that i don't know I, I i i think i think to me it's just a sign that the whole process has to be upended so lottery sure i mean r- great okay i, I think sure. it's a pretty okay. good idea that's- Okay, that's parents person. crazy. It will make parents crazy. Well, everybody says it's a crapshoot anyway. Liam. Right.
1: So let's just make it a crapshoot. <laughs> embrace it. Fun. Embrace it. Okay, okay <laughs> so no, that's, that's right. two votes for the lottery. <laughs> Three. Okay, that's good.
2: Low stakes vote for me. I've already been to college <laughs> and I don't have any kids. So yeah, sure.
0: Okay, you're in. Hey, All Julie, right. I want to I wanna recommend to you, though, I happened to listen to this week's episode of This American Life, and they covered college admissions this week. So they spoke to, like, the director of admissions at Yale and the director of admissions at Trinity College exactly about the issues you're talking about, like not ha- what, what changed with the SATs and all kinds of things. I think you would find it interesting. And then they did a really deep dive into the admission policy of UT Austin, which does not take standardized test scores and hasn't for a while. They just guarantee admission to the top 6% of everybody graduating from a Texas high school. And Across all standards of high schools, So that mm-hmm. creates a lot of, you know, that, that creates a, an interesting applicant pool. And so it's really more about how you can keep those kids in. I think you'd enjoy that episode, Julie, particularly. Okay, I
1: will, because I am all yeah. about creating... More access for a more diverse student body and getting away from the system we have right. And with that in mind, I have some homework for you for you two, two girls, and for other satellite sisters is I would highly recommend watching Operation varsity blues college the college admission Scandal, which is now on Netflix Oh, is it I good know, I know I know from our, yes, I know from our uh, Facebook group that a number of our listeners have already watched it. It is very interesting. It's a very well-done documentary, and this is on the major Department of Justice FBI sting operation that involves celebrities... CEOs, lawyers, and other immoral wealthy people. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's the way I would say it. It stars Matthew Modine as Rick Singer, and he was he was the ringleader. He he had the college pre, the corrupt college oh, yeah. prep organization. But what is interesting about this documentary is they do reenactments with the actual wiretap conversations between Rick Singer and the wealthy clients okay and so they you cannot make up this in terms of how these you know these incredibly privileged people would call up rick and they would you know they they just wanted to know how to get their daughter in but they didn't want her, their daughter to know that she was you know they were going to cheat on her sat scores and they were going to make her into a water polo player or whatever i mean it is amazing to hear the act actual transcripts and to see them redone Uh, i mean you know you're just there there's when you watch this at the end of it i wanted to take a shower because you just feel like wow this is such a corrupt system here it is at college admissions which already favors the wealthy right because they're the ones that can afford you know a college counselor the test prep they can afford the fancy extracurricular activities tutors whatever they need but still, these people wanted, you know, they just wanted to, I guess, you know, they, they, they wanted what their privilege has bought them in other areas. They were doing a deal. And they just, they wanted to secure their daughter or son into a prestigious university. And they were willing to write checks for 200000 500000 So it, you know, it just, it is, it's just, it's really well done. There's lots of different parts. But um, a child that's applying to college, I think you would, you know, still find it a fac- fascinating story about corruption, about, you know, how, 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 you know, how this is such, you know, part of our culture. But I will have to say one of the, you know, in my mind, one of the unindicted co-conspirators of the whole Um, Operation Varsity Blues has to be the universities, the colleges and the universities. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, students get in the front door, as Rick would say. Students get in the back door if their parents can write a check for 20,000, 20 million or 10 million for a building or a library. And then Rick created the side door where, you know, he sort of focused on niche sports like sailing and water polo or tennis. And he got these athletes in, and had this whole system of corruption. So, um, uh, what is also interesting is that once he, be- once the FBI busted Rick, he became an excellent undercover agent for the FBI and Department of en- uh, Department of Justice. He was a master salesman. So he then. Was you know was wearing a wire, wearing a camera, and he would get all these clients to admit again, exact on tape, uh, exactly what they had done. So he was highly effective in that role too. You know he just, you know so. But the worst part of it is, I think it could happen again, and I don't think college admissions has changed that much. I don't know since since this whole episode with, um you know the operation of Varsity Blues. Uh, was exposed. Um, I think there will continue to be back doors into colleges and universities. And it's a pity because at one point a college um, admissions counselor says, you know, said in the, in the movie, there are 3000 different co- excellent colleges across the United States. And this frenzy to get into, you know, a hand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. It's not worth it. It is yeah. just not worth it. It's, you know, and Um, And you can get a very good education. And I think this is what a number of people in our Facebook group said, at a smaller colleges as well. So Mm -hmm. it's well worth watching, you know, a lot of things to think about. uh, And um, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm just, I I think we need a lottery system okay that's all okay I'm say. <laughs> let's, let's just blow
2: it up it's like burning all your furniture let's blow yeah. up college admission yeah. Yeah. It's time to make some radical change people okay yeah. so that's a documentary on netflix good uh good recommendation julie operation varsity blues i want to make a quick comment on some movies i'm recommending and i was thinking of what i'm calling the upside of the downside because I really, 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 really miss going to movie theaters. I love seeing movies in movie theaters, but obviously that's not happening. But as a result, the upside of the downside is that some of these smaller indie movies that you wouldn't normally have had access to if, say, in your city, there's not a good sort of indie movie theater, they're all streaming now. So three of them which I've seen and I would totally recommend. They've really stuck with me. You've, you've heard of all of these movies, but now is your chance to see Nomadland. If you have Hulu, it's on Hulu. And it's fancy, McDormand is great, and it just raises a lot of interesting issues of class and economic gaps. That, is, that movie's really stuck with me. Uh, Minari or Minari, I saw that last weekend. That's the movie about the Korean American, the Korean immigrants uh, who moved to the American South it's a fascinating and beautiful movie. I really recommend that. Julie, there's an especially in that movie, there's an especially poignant grandmother-grandson relationship that is just the cutest. It's just a lovely part of that movie. So you can see that on Amazon, and also on Amazon, Um, the, The Sound of Metal, starring Riz Ahmed, Um, which is something you might not normally go see. It's about like a punk rock musician who loses his hearing. It's really, the Riz Ahmed performance is great, but also the issues that it raises about deafness as a disability and what that means culturally, again, like it's days after I saw it and I'm still thinking about that movie. Hmm. So there you go. The upside of the downside is if you have these streaming services, see Nomadland, see Minari, and see The Sound of Metal – uh, this is the year. And then next year you can go back to your Marvel universe. Fine. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and then also I watched, because you guys had recommended, these three movies, by the way, they're not exactly mood lifters, but they're, you know, but so, so then I took in all of Ted Lasso. I just watched every single episode of Ted Good Lasso. For you, which Liz. Mm-hmm. Could not have loved more. There you go. That's my
0: report. Well, Liz, I know we have a lot of Ted Lasso fans, so I'm excited to report uh, that they're doing a Ted Lasso night at Paley Fest. That is the TV festival that we've mentioned many times on Satellite Sisters. Again, we usually go in person and get to see the writers and actors and EPs of these TV shows talk about them. It's for super fans and it's lots of fun, but it's all on online this year and it's all free. So I'm going to put that link in the show notes and I'll spread it around Satellite Sisters and in pep talk our newsletter if you're not signed up for that because if you know they did the whole cast of the queen's gambit and coming up this week is ted lasso which i so i'm looking forward to that definitely going to tune in definitely going to tune in all right you guys that's a super full show we have to go sorry Okay, I'm sorry. Don't. We okay. have to go. <laughs> so, but first, we'd like to thank Sergio Enriquez for engineering our show. Thank you, Sergio. We'd like to thank Emily Loudermilk for creating the great graphics that go with Satellite Sisters. Uh, you've seen them on our Instagram and in pep talk. Thank you, Emily, we appreciate it. We so appreciate our sponsors and we appreciate you for supporting those sponsors. That's what keeps our show on the air and allows us to do this. Thank you very much. All right, Julie, what's on your to-do list?
1: I am playing Trivial Pursuit 1981 version with my grandchildren. And you know what? I'm killing it because (laughs) that was your year. I was pretty much, I'm doing really well. They think I'm a genius. So I'm going to continue to play the 1981 version of this game. Yeah.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, I am considering a a new scalloped potato recipe for uh, Easter. So stand by on that. My friend Susan texted me the one from Martha Stewart's magazine. It looked like a nice meal in general. It involves cheddar cheese. I've never put cheddar in scalloped potatoes. So I'm deciding whether I want to go that way or go more traditional. So it's a huge week for me. Huge week. (laughs) Liz, Liz, what's on your to do?
2: Well, I'm getting in touch with my inner Lindsay Vaughn sisters, you know, oh, she's, wow. she's rehabbed herself back from so many accidents. That's what I'm working on because I have a follow-up meeting with my surgeon on Thursday. Leanne, you've been a witness to these meetings as we've been going through this. He's super mean. And yes. And
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's not warm. He's not, not warm. warm. You know,
2: he's an orthopedic surgeon. It's not his job to be warm, but no. he is, he's tough. He's tough. So my goal is to get through the meeting without crying.
0: That's okay. my goal.
2: You That's can do my, it. Yes. So,
0: uh, Mine too okay. then. I'll, yes. I'll try not to cry this time too.
2: <laughs> and for that, I need to get in touch with my inner Lindsay Vaughn. She can do it. I can do it. I'm doing it, sisters. That's what I'm
0: doing. <laughs> All right. Love it. Okay, sisters. Have a great week. You too, Lian. And you don't do. forget, call your satellite sister.